Good morning. How are you all doing? <laughs> Man, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. Maybe we're not supposed to. We'll see. Well, uh, historically, any nation or region who experiences loss, suffering, death, fear, violence, they begin to look for strong leadership. It doesn't matter where it comes from. They look for strong leadership, the outward appearance of strength. In the Scriptures, we see this with Saul. We have this time in in the Scriptures where the Israelites are looking for protection, for safety, for direction. There is threats, and there is loss, and there is suffering, and they are not sure where to turn. And in this moment, God speaks to them and says, turn to me, allow me to be your king. And they say, no, send us a man. And so he sends them one. He sends them the outward appearance of strength, and he sends them Saul. And of course, we all know where this road goes. Historically in Germany, Nazi Germany, the Nazi party rose during a time of oppression, of drought, economic frustration, and fear. And in the midst of this this time in history, this nation, this people, that's some of the most logical, intelligent, uh, cultured nations on the earth made some of the dumbest choices we've ever seen. And of course, we saw what happened with Hitler. Now, we understand that it doesn't matter what man anyone looks to. The only hope is Christ. But the prayer that we need to have right now is that in this time of fear and uncertainty, that we would have a nation that would begin to look not just to men, or even not to men at all, but would begin to look to a new king, to Jesus. So the question is, what kind of answer does the the Scriptures have for this kind of situation? What does God offer us? If you guys were here uh, around January, we did the the entire series about the gospel. What's the gospel about? And, And what we saw through that and through the series on heaven, what we saw is that the hope that the Gospels offer us is a new king, a new leader. The hope that the Scriptures offer us is what would the world look like if Jesus was king? If Jesus was in control, if Jesus was was given the opportunity to set the order of things, to, to determine how culture and laws and how things should function, what would the world look like? And what we see is we see a world where Jesus is king is a world without death, violence, pain, or loss or suffering. The hope of the gospel is that when Jesus returns, everything will be made right. But as we've talked about, the problem is this. The problem is that the only picture of this hope that, that the world has is you and me. <laughs> the only place that the world is able to begin to grasp a true hope, the, the only place the world is able to begin to, to have a desire stir in them, to turn back to Jesus, is in the church. Is by looking inside the walls of the church and, and seeing a world full of peace and order and love and sacrifice A world where different races, incomes, educations, ages, backgrounds, experiences, the same things that are thrown into a pot in the world are supposed to be in the church, but when they look in the church, 
the outcome is different. And that's because the one thing that's different, the one thing that's supposed to be different between the church and the world is who is at the helm. And when you have a people who are led and governed, who are ruled by Jesus, it's to look different than the world is to look. But most of us this morning know that that's just not the case, is it? The hope of the world is to be seen inside the church. We all know it's Jesus. And of course, if anyone asks us on Facebook, we say, hey, we're praying. The hope is Jesus, everybody. You can post that on Facebook all day long. The problem is until they begin to see what it looks like when Jesus shows up in us, we have nothing to offer. We're just as scared and lost and angry and fearful as they are. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and uh, let's go to James 1. I want to talk about sin a little bit this morning. Now, we have an entire series coming up on sin, which, by the way, if you guys have been here to Grace Church for a while, you know that I don't ever really talk about sin very much. It's, it's important, but it's kind of a side issue in the Gospels. Uh, so I want to kind of open up a little bit, but at the same time, I want to hide a little bit from you because we have an entire series coming up, and if I put it all out today, you know, I don't have anything to talk about. But in uh, James 1, verse 12... We're going to see kind of the process for how sin starts, if you would. Let's go to um, James 1, 13. It says this, So when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Let's stop right there. Go back to verse 14. Sin starts in one place. It says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. When you really begin to kind of like, you know, to, to, to open this passage up, sin starts in one place. Sin starts the moment that my wants or needs begin to supersede yours. If you're taking notes, put this down. Sin starts with selfishness. Now, we use that word with our children, all right? You know, hey, child, Jude, you can't be selfish, you have to share. So whenever I use the word selfish, we kind of put it into, you know, it's a toy box. Selfish is, is, is the moment that we elevate self. Here's what it means. To be selfish is this. I matter more than you matter. Here's me, here's you. Okay? That's what it means to be selfish. It's, it's to be self-centered, meaning my world at the center of it is me. What I want, what I think, what I desire, that is what truly matters. So what happens is this. Every single time that my wants and your wants, or my well-being and your well-being, my bank account and your bank account, my house your house, my family your family, anytime anything comes in conflict between what I want and what you want, in my world, my desires are superior to yours. 
So because I love me more than I love you, I will do whatever it takes to take care of me. This is where sin starts. Sin starts the moment that you become the center of your universe. This can take place over a lifetime. This can take place in a moment. When you are what matters most in that situation or moment, you will hurt someone. Do you hear me? When you matter most, you will hurt someone. In your marriage, the moment that your feelings matter more than their feelings, the moment that what you want matters more than what they want, someone's going to get hurt. It's not going to be you. When you are parenting, we'll just leave that there, right? We did an entire series on parenting. I think we're all beat up enough, right? The moment that we come in contact and what you want or what you need is in conflict with what I want or I need. Someone will get hurt. This is where sin starts. Self-centeredness, meaning when we are the center of our universe. Now, where do we see this in the Scriptures? Genesis 1-3 through is the account of how things have kind of uh, have come to be where they are, if you would. The one thing that we see is that we saw that the way that man was created was that we had all of this, we had this entire place, this entire um, world handed to us, but yet there was one thing at the center of our worlds, and it was the Creator. We had each other, we had creation, we had creatures, we had all these things at our fingertips, but the one difference between then and now is that what was at the center of our being, of our thinking, feeling, doing, was God. And what changed here, what's funny about this, is in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, you have this vast array of trees, beauty, life, animals, all this kind of stuff, right? At the center of the garden, it says, at the center of the garden was one tree. We all know it, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I love that he put it at the center of the garden. And that tree was symbolic of the role of God on creation. Meaning, yes, He created everything, but at the center of it, it was God's place to determine what was good and what was bad. It was God's place to be what? King, to be judge, if you would. And so at the center of all creation, at the center of our lives, it was God deciding what is good and what is bad. And of course, the moment that we took His seat of creation, that we took His place and we chose to, to sit in the seat of God, it's our place now to decide what's good and what's wrong. The moment that we became the center of creation, death entered creation. Violence entered creation. Harm, sickness entered creation. Understand that in your life, every source of pain or hurt or loss or disappointment it is because you are the center of that situation, not God. Every single time we begin to take the seat, the center of anything, and it's not God, death will follow. This is probably like, this sermon is both milk and a T-bone steak. Okay, right? We, the Apostle Paul said, you know, we've we got to start with the basics, with the milk, and work you up, Right? What's so frustrating about this topic is that this is truly fundamental. 
One of the most basic parts of following Jesus is what we're talking about right now. But it's something that to all of us, including myself, is as foreign as could be. So you're telling me my life isn't about me? So you're telling me it's not about my freedoms or about my opinions or about my wants or about my dreams? Because that's not what I was told. Because I've got the right to... What's the most recent one on Facebook right now? It's, what, what is it? Is it guns? Guns? Oh, we're getting quiet. I'm American. My right is to have a whatever gun I want. I can have a bazooka. I can have a you know, nuclear weapon for all I care. <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> Amen. Pastor Devin, when the world ends, you ain't coming to my bunker. These things are besides the point, right? The American dream, right? We all have the right to have our three-bedroom home, never a white picket fence. It's the God-given right of freedom. I have the right to say whatever I want on Facebook. And I'm going to. I'm going to use every one of my amendment rights. These are very small things, right? But what happens is each one of these small little areas or actions at the center of it is we are putting ourselves first. We are deciding that what we, des- what we want, what we think, what we feel is more important than what anyone else does. And we are judging, we are deciding between good and bad and saying, you know what, you know what, yes, I can have this. And so, you know what, it's okay for me to do X, Y, Z. Every single time we are at the center of our lives, someone will get hurt. But I want you to understand something. In the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus returns, there will be no violence, no offense, no pain, no loss, no death. So something has to change. And what changes is this. The only ones of us who are going to be in the kingdom of heaven are going to be ones who submit to the kingship of Jesus. Everyone's real quiet. So would you like to try to convince me that what Jesus wants us all to do is to live the rest of our 60, 70, you know, 15, 5 minutes, whatever it is we have left on the earth. Jesus wants us to enjoy all the freedom we get right here. Because the moment we die, we, <laughs> it's, it's complete submission to Jesus for the rest of our lives. Because what Jesus wants for us is to enjoy being God as long as we can on this earth. Because once we die, he's going to be God. Or, would the Gospels teach us, to confess with our mouths, what? Jesus is Lord, and every day to pick up our what? And follow him daily. Something's not adding up. And so we have a, a society, a world, where we have conflict right now. Because the needs and the desires of these people are conflicting with the needs and desires of these people. And they can't both have it their way. So what's going to happen? Violence. Death. Harm. And the question is, how do we factor into this? The truth is we factor the same way they do. 
We're all picking sides. If you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, Mark 12, verse 28. We're going to unpack this some more. Mark 12, verse 28. Now, the context here, um, if you guys remember last year, we did the K-Cup series, and we broke down uh, the parables of Jesus, one of my favorite series, but one of the most painful series I've ever done, because I just hate the words of Jesus. Let's all be honest. Jesus is the worst person to listen to, because He never says anything we like. And if you don't agree with me, you haven't read close enough. His answer to everything is this. Follow me. Lay it down. Give it up. Sacrifice. Die. I like Paul a lot more. He's much more nice to us, if you would. But the context of this is Jesus is again proclaiming the same thing He says everywhere through the entire Gospels. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is coming. There's a new king. And He's going to change everything. And it's your choice to submit now or be on the outside whenever he takes power. And so he's, he's been saying this, he's been teaching this, and what's happening is in saying this, he's saying that everything you knew about God, everything that God has done up to this point, you misunderstood it. And so he's being challenged, he's being attacked, and what happens here is the teachers of the law have been trying to catch him and, and trying to prove that he's wrong, and so they just got done with one debate. And now they're moving to a new one. Verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came, and he heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than this. Now, what's so hard with these statements of Jesus is we've all heard them so many times that they lose their power and their impact. Love your neighbor as yourself is how we hear it, right? Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. His first response here, the question is, simply put, what is God really after is the question here. We have all these laws. We have all these commandments. What does God actually want from us? And so the answer is very simple. Everything that you've ever thought you knew about what God wanted is summarized in this one idea. To put God first in everything. Of course, the answer there is what? To love the Lord your God with what? Everything. That God would be at the center of of our lives again. And if God's at the center of our lives, everything else changes. That's the, the, that's the snare or the hook in his statement. What he's really saying is this. If God is really the most important thing, if He is the top priority, if, if He is your... If He is your first love, if He is your first thought, if He is your ultimate desire, you will follow and do all these things anyway. If what your life is really about is Him, everything else falls in line. 
Here's the trick about this. We talk about this a little bit with the gospel series as well. The reason I don't talk a whole lot about sin is because sometimes we quickly begin to take sin language and we flip it to find the way to get what we want. What I'm saying is this. When the gospel becomes about, if the gospel is only that God is mad at you because of your sins, then, then for us, all we have to do find out what kind of prayer or action or thing, what do we have to do to make things square between us and God? What do I have to do to get out of this punishment? My son Jude has learned this. Okay, When he's about to get spanked, he will do anything to avoid the spanking. Stands up straight. Yes, sir. I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, I'm so sorry that I punched him you know, in the head. It was an accident, Dad. I didn't mean to. He doesn't care anything about what we're actually concerned with. My actual concern is that you would punch your brother in the head. That's what I'm concerned with. What he's concerned with is getting out of the punishment. So he will do whatever it takes. He will say any kind of statement. He will do any action to get out of the punishment. And then once we're good, we're good. He's back to doing whatever it is he wants to do. Because we're not addressing the issue. The issue is not that you drink or that you, you, know, you, you murder or that you rape. The issue is why. The issue is that at the center of your life, it's about what you want. At the center of your life, who cares who you hurt to get what you want? The issue is that you are out of relationship with your King and your Savior and your Creator. The issue is you do not love God. The issue is you love you. And the reason that God is concerned with that more than anything, His first concern is because He loves you. His second concern is this. The moment that one of His children loves themselves, they're going to hurt His other children. The reason sin is an issue for us to address here on the earth is not because that's what God cares most about. It's because sin is the picture of how we will begin to, to act and hurt each other if Jesus is not what matters most to us. Think about your marriage. If you actually love Jesus more than anyone else in your life, you would never cheat on your wife or your husband. Ever. It doesn't matter if you've got the ugliest spouse on the earth. It doesn't matter. Because what you really want more than sex or more than whatever, what you really want is Jesus. So why would you ever do that? When Jude behaves the best... It's whenever we have a very strong relationship. Whenever I've been spending time with him, if you would. He's been doing some swim lessons, and we have to sit there in this really hot, you know, it's like a pool area. It's terrible. I have the baby. She's crying at me, you know. And, you know, we're sitting there, and he's learning to, I don't know, blow bubbles. Okay, it's impressive, but at the same time, we're all adults. We're like, eh, good, you can blow bubbles. You've been doing that in your milk for years, you know. Good job, you know. But with him, he's so motivated because he wants my approval. Because in that moment, he sees me, we're connected. And so now each action, he's, he's blowing bubbles. He, he's not worried about being uh, punished or anything like that. His actions are coming from the fact that there is a relationship. And what matters to him in that moment isn't swimming. What matters to him is getting my approval. And so his actions are different. 
Now the moment I walk out of the room, who knows what happens after that, right? So you have to understand this, okay? In essence, being a Christian, if you desire to follow Jesus, it starts with one place. If you want to be a Christian, learn to love God. Simple. Now we don't have time to open up everything that love is. Simply put, love is a combination of choices and and affections. Choices and affections. And so what it what loving God means is learning it, it's learning to choose God first and learning to care about Him. Feel things about Him. Again, if you're married or you have relationships, the way you do that is by spending time with someone. You can hate someone, but if you're around them 24-7, you're going to start finding things in that person you actually like. Time investment. So loving God is about learning to choose Him first and about learning to focus your time and your thoughts and your emotions. And when you begin to put Him first, but spend time around Him, those emotions come. And of course, what's crazy about this is when the emotions come, you choose Him. And then when you choose Him, more emotions. And more emotions, and you choose Him. It's this beautiful cycle. But what happens when you don't choose Him? When you don't choose Him, then your emotions go to whatever it was you chose. And typically, if you're not choosing God... You, you're choosing you. Do not fool yourself. You typically only have one choice to make. Are you going to choose God or are you going to choose you? And of course, when you choose God, it's also choosing your spouse or your children or, you know, whatever. What happens is when we choose God, all of a sudden God shows up and all of a sudden we have those great warm feelings and we choose God again. But most of us haven't experienced that in a while. Be honest. No one's honest. Okay. Most of us choose us. And it feels good. And then we choose us again. It feels even better. There's a problem, though. Every time we choose us, it feels good. But there's someone else suffering on the other end of our good feelings. We get in this fight. I choose me. And so I say the words I want to say. It feels so good to get it off my chest and just to burn her. Come on, have you, have you ever been in a fight? Okay, Lord have mercy today. We're uh, talking about sin. Don't be dishonest, all right? Be honest. And it feels so good just to get those words off your chest. I finally said everything I wanted to say and got her. And of course, my feelings and my well-being and my desires, uh, it feels great. But someone's suffering at the end of this choice. What happens here is the first, the baby step of following Jesus is learning to choose Jesus. Hear me. The most fundamental part of being a Christian is learning to love God. If you haven't learned this yet, you are still in diapers. Now, I'm not saying you have it perfect. There's no one in the room who has it perfect. But if this is not your goal, if this is not your focus, then you have not learned what it means to be a Christian. It's not about prayer, friends. It's not about intercession. It's not about missions or food. You can do all these things and do them from the wrong motives. I'll explain this a bit more. And so he says, so the first answer... Sum up all of the loss, sum up everything you think you know about what God wants. And he answered it in two answers. First of all, 
Love Him. Choose Him. Love Him with everything. And then secondly, love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? It's not the person who lives next to you. Who's your neighbor? You're looking at them, right? Everybody, okay? Your neighbor is everyone who's not your enemy. Your neighbor is everyone who's not against you. And so he says this. He says, sum up everything God wants, and it starts by loving God, and then it starts by loving God and loving people. What's so powerful about this kind of a segment, this, this, this transition, is that what's actually true in this is we cannot love our neighbor without loving God. Here's why. Because the love for God is the only love that is selfless. Meaning, at the center of this love, of these feelings, of these choices, of this thought process, at the center of this world of loving God is God's at the center. It's not about me. It's about Him. All I want is Him. It's not about me or my feelings or what I want or my my hurts and my pains. It's about Him. The problem with all other kinds of love is it's about you at the heart of it. So even if on the outside I love my neighbor, I really love my neighbor because of what I get from my neighbor. I I really love my neighbor because he's a good neighbor. He mowed my lawn. He's nice to talk to. The people you love without, without Jesus are people that you like. Come on, people. And if you're one of those people like I was, who has, has this appearance of godliness, then the neighbors you love are the ones who are pains in the butt, right? The sinners. Oh, I just love that person. But the, the reason that you love those people, it's still selfish. Because you're investing in people. You know, oh, this person's just lost, or they're just hurt, they're angry. But what's really at the root of it is it feels good for you to try to help people. It feels good for you to, to, to feel like you're doing good. Well, see, I'm out there loving someone who, you know, who no one else loves. I'm out there being a blessing to, to a, a heathen, a sinner. And even in this love, it's limited because it's self-centered. It's all about what I get. And so the moment that there's no more pull from it, the moment I don't get anything more from it, I begin to look elsewhere. I can have the most overwhelming affections for a spouse, but if at the center of it, it's not coming from my relationship with Jesus, that love will stop at some point. When that person, when they disappoint me, when, when they don't meet my expectations, when they don't provide what I need, when they get older, when they get ugly, when they get hurt, when they get sick, when they, whatever, my love, my affections will wane. Are you here this morning? This is some truth, by the way. You can love someone and then fall out of love with them. That's actually very possible. But I'll tell you what, that wasn't God love. It wasn't flowing from your relationship with Jesus because you only loved that person because of what they gave you. It was conditional. It's very easy to have a favorite child when you have conditional love. You love the children who make you feel good. You get that one, good, that, that one kid who's really good at sports, the one kid who's super intelligent, whatever it is. And you just love that kid because you get so much from him. But when you love, when you love God first, 
That love pours over, and it's not about you. It's unconditional. People can let you down, disappoint you, backstab you, and it doesn't matter because it's not about what you get from that person. Are you following me? Jesus had one more ace up his sleeve. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Matthew 5. Verse 35. No, oh, I Verse 38, I apologize. 538. Well, I just love this verse. This is going to be fun for us to read. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. But my amendment right... If they come in my property, I can shoot them dead. Let me tell you, as an American, you have that right. As a Christian, you need to pray about that a little bit. Let's keep reading. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Hand over your coat as well. As I told you, I don't like the words of Jesus. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Pause right there. You cannot read past these statements. You can't. You you, you cannot fast forward to the Apostle Paul. Well, forget about what Jesus said. Paul said, we do these things so what? We love our neighbor. We love our enemy so that what? So that we may actually be children of our Father in heaven. This is, what, this is the most basic, fundamental baby step to pursuing a life of following Jesus. is learning to love God with all your heart. And then you learn to love everyone else. And then guess what? And then you learn to love your, your enemy. It is impossible to love your enemy from any love outside of Christ. Because if our love is self-centered, if it's about what I am receiving, then when someone hurts me, I will cease to love them. It's impossible. How can you love someone who steals from you, who attacks you, who, who speaks bad about you, who's against you, who misunderstands you? How can you love them? Because as Christians, our life is not about us. And the problem with so many of us, including myself, is this is too hard to swallow. The gospel was never supposed to be a pill that's easily swallowed. The gospel is not cheap either. It costs something. 
The Roman road prayer that we've all, you know, probably said. Confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart the Father raised Him from the dead. We have cheapened that so much. That statement is terrifying. To declare that from this moment on, I'm going to live under the rule of Jesus Christ. From now on, my entire life is about allowing Him to be the center. And everything else follows after that. And because He's the center, I have to love who He loves. I have to act the way He acts. I have to live out the rest of my life the way that He would live it out. And there's no one in this room who wants to do that. You shouldn't even want, I mean, if you do want to do that, I want to hang out around you much more. Actually, I'd like to hire you. I'm being honest. You can take my place right now. Do a much better job than I do, because I don't want that. So here we are, surrounded by this world of hate and violence, and it's only going to get worse. There is no answer in sight. You cannot kill all the bad guys. Let me tell you again, you cannot kill all the bad guys. Read history. It doesn't matter who you kill. There's going to be another one pop right up. Because as long as this world is centered on self, what I want will always come in conflict with what you want. And the, and the question is, whoever's more powerful will get what they want. And whoever doesn't have the power will go get the power to get what they want. And it will never end. But yet, in the middle of this, Jesus is not confused. He, you know, he's not surprised by what's happening on the earth right now. In the midst of this, you are called to do something. You are called to follow Jesus. That's the entire point, people. <laughs> the entire point is that we do this in the middle of this environment that tells us we can't do it. If everything was peachy keen, okay, if, if everyone in this room had, had a $1 million in a bank account, Okay. If everyone here had everything in common, if everyone here had everything you could possibly want, and then we came together and had fun, how shocking would that be to people? Can you believe those people? They're just so loving because they're all stinking filthy rich. I want to join that club. Not a lot of people get shot at the country clubs, let me tell you. The entire point is that he would put us in the middle of this world to where there's no possible way or reason that we would live this way. And then we would live this way. The reason the book of Acts is such a powerful picture of the church is because it was happening in the middle of a terrible situation. The reason the church grew like crazy for 300 years was because it was being persecuted. It was being attacked. They're being thrown to lions and bears. And they're singing Kumbaya. Oh, Jesus, forgive them as my child gets torn up by a lion. Are you guys ready to follow Jesus? Singing worship songs and, and celebrating and dancing, you know, uh, you know, as they're about to be murdered and ripped apart by animals. The roads of, of Rome were lined with crosses. About 120 years after Jesus, the roads of Rome were lined with crosses with the burning bodies of Christians. And the church exploded. 
because they lived in such a way that made no earthly sense. They loved and they sacrificed. They were hospitable. They were gentle and humble. While they're being persecuted, while they're being attacked, while they're being maligned. But yet, we want to complain about CNN. They're giving Christians a bad name. No, you are giving Christians a bad name. I am giving Christians a bad name. Because we are not about Jesus, we are about ourselves. Here's a verse we'll end on. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 13, verse 33. Now the context of this is when Jesus is talking about the time whenever he's going to die. He's telling them that he's been sent with a purpose and a mission. He's been sent to the cross, and when he's gone, they're going to have to remember the things he taught them. They're going to have to lean upon the one he's going to send, upon the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, and that there's, there is a, a, a primary uh, goal, if you would, a primary mission. Here's what he says, verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told you, just as I told you, you the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In the last few months, um, on Facebook, man, I'm telling you, Facebook's just terrible, right? I've seen all these uh, really great posts about how, you know, the, the world's supposed to know Christians by their love. And I've heard that quote a lot. The only problem with that is they aren't quoting the entire verse, right? The world will, will know that we are Jesus' followers by what? Our love one for another. Meaning it starts here. This is where we get it right, everybody. This is where we practice what it means to love our neighbor. Here's what it means to practice what it means to love our enemy. When someone who's supposed to be a brother or sister in Christ is actually against us. Here's where we learn what it is to do these things. As I've said before, I used to believe that the hope of the world was was signs and wonders and more power of the Spirit. I believe that there will be times where that does happen. But I still believe that Jesus was right. The hope of the world, the way that the world will see that, that Jesus is God, Jesus is real, and that His followers are actually real is going to be when we learn to walk this out together. And it sounds simple and it sounds cute, but I hope you've heard me this morning. The problem with every one of us this morning in trying to follow Jesus is that we are at the center of our lives. And the moment that what we want comes in conflict with God, we choose us every time. Would you guys stay with me this morning? We're going to take communion.